0: That that I was including you. Okay, very cool. We'll see. I've
1: started recording, by the
0: way. That's fine. We've been (coughs) recording for 33 seconds, so this Yeah, yeah, yeah. That bit will be cut. (laughs) Yeah, it appears to be picking it up fine. That's the scuffling bit. Is the problem?
1: <laughs> what I just
0: did. Hello. Sorry for, for the wait. We are a bit. Um, we we're just getting everything set up here. How are you doing? This is Gabe and Alec from uh, from the podcast.
1: How you doing? Hey. How you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing real well. Good. Good. Good.
0: <laughs> oh, Let's get these a little bit closer. <laughs> yeah. um, how's That that's, that's better actually. Yeah. Much yeah. better. Much better. We are gonna sound like giants, though, because we're in this big, echoey space. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sounds pretty
2: good. Sounds good, good. It does. It
0: makes all of it. It sounds. We're we're sounding really sexy yeah, right man, now. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. We should yeah. record in here all the time, actually. I, I agree. Or we should bring all of our dates here. Yeah. All three of us. We'll see. Right. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, well, no. Thank you for for tolerating us making it weird to begin the interview. But yeah. we are here with Sebastian uh Gerner. Uh is it Gerner or Gernier? Are you does it have a fancy pronunciation? <laughs> uh no one really knows.
3: It's, it's Gerner. It's a German,
1: French, but no one knows what's the
3: game so whatever whatever floats your boat. <laughs>
1: And I like I like grenier. I really do. I think that I think that's yeah, that's pretty. It makes
0: cool. you sound like a brand of sparkling water. So if you don't mind, we might we might keep that for the rest of the interview. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I uh, you.
1: Like sparkling water.
0: Yeah. But no, you are, are the editor of, of a number of of really great books. In fact, um, Black Science, uh, Men of Wrath. Uh, Southern Bastards, which I think is is the perhaps the most exciting title, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just absolutely. just uh, just uh, in terms of our <clears throat> listeners, because that that one just comes so highly recommended, um, and, and many others. I think Deadpool uh, in the past, uh, Punisher Max, um, uh, Wolverine Ronin, I believe uh, at Marvel. So, uh, and
1: uh, do you do low as well? Low, yeah. Yep. Oh, perfect. Okay. I was about to say, stop
0: us if we uh, get anything wrong. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: Happy about that. All those books are are wonderful to work on. The teams are great, and uh, having a having a real good time. Very fortunate um, to to be able to work on a lot of books. But you know, also in a time where uh, creator-owned comics are, are doing really well. Um, not that they ever really went away, but I feel like the focus has shifted on them more in the last couple of years with a couple of really really big success stories, um, and then in the you know the trail of those. I think all of these. Really great mid-tier books that you know are kind of vying for those those middle levels where everyone's reading a couple of them, some books that everyone is reading, um, and yeah, it's it's a really fun time to be to be making comics all of a sudden. Not it's never not fun to make comics, obviously.
1: But. Yeah, absolutely. And I, Southern Bastards and Low were two of my favorite comics of 2014, and I and I think those two and Black Science, I think, are kind of a perfect representation of where comics are at now. I, I think that's, you know, if somebody asks me, you know, what, what do you think comics are now? I think that's probably the, the best uh, the best interpretation. How did you kind of get involved with uh, those kind of projects?
3: Um, well, in both cases, I had worked with the writers, or with the, with the teams, actually, with all everyone, almost everyone involved uh, when I was at Marvel. Um, I worked with Rick Remender was actually one of the first writers I worked with when I was an assistant. Um, and I assisted uh, my editor at the time, was actually Alonzo, who's now editor in chief. I was his assistant, and he, uh, I think, yeah, no, it was. During, what event was it, Dark Rain, Rick came on to write The Punisher that spun out of that? True. That was with the artist Jerome Pena. And uh, that's when Rick and I started working together. And uh, we kind of really hit it off. Had a, had a good old time, and um, and that series went on for I don't know, like a year or two. So we had a good we had a good time working together. And Jason Aaron, um, incidentally, I was the, I was the Punisher guy. <laughs> I think for me, is my favorite character. Jason Aaron ended up writing um, a pretty long stint on the Max line of Punisher uh, with Steve Dillon on the art. And I, at the time when that when that happened, um, Axel Alonso became editor in chief, and then to kind of shuffle around. I ended up becoming the, the editor of that book as well, and that went on for twenty something issues. So I've been working with Jason, um, and once again, yeah. I just hit it off. Jason's a wonderful, wonderful writer, a really, really nice guy, and we love talking, talking Punisher and talking comics. And uh, how long ago was it? Three, three years ago now, I think. I uh, I decided to leave Marvel to kind of pursue some other projects and kind of you know try something else. I've been I've been working there for about four years. And um a year after that, uh, both inside of like a month or two, actually, I think both um, Rick and Jason approached me and, and talked to me about um, you know wanting to do an image book, and, and they enjoyed working with me, and would I be willing to come on board um, to, to edit those, uh, kind of you know get the get the pieces into place and, and keep the schedule going, and kind of you know do the the work that you don't really get to see on the page, you know, all the stuff that happens behind the scenes to make sure that a comic is out on time. Um, and out of those, kind of grew, you know, the success of those grew into the, the couple of books that I'm working on now, where uh, Rick, Rick, we added that we to uh, the line up after Black Science and then Low, and then, uh, you know, you're always kind of working on short, middle, long-term books. So, and then in the, in the, when those books all started doing really well, and, you know, I was kind of, I guess my name got out there as, like, here's a you know, here's a guy who can edit a book and make sure it comes out on time. And, and, Are there a lot of bullets
0: in your book? Hire this fella. <laughs> yeah, basically, which is nice. Uh, <laughs>
3: because I don't, I'm terrible at, like, you know, you can't do it. Up to, it's hard to go, especially as, as far as comic book editing goes. It's, like, you know, it's, like, the, the weirdest part of doing the book like everyone else can kind of point at a comic and say that's what I did mm-hmm. um, and another can kind of just be like uh, the, the book is here that's sort of me maybe I did my job <laughs> but um, yeah so a couple other books sprang out of that um, we're going to write a the and decline on a book called Trifter uh, which we just wrapped the first arc of Mission 5 is, is on to the printer now so yeah I mean it's all very much kind of you know the culmination of, of when I started working in comics, like, seven years ago, I think this summer, actually. But,
0: um, and then also having the luck of being in the right place at the right time. Is there, I mean, talking about the, the growth in, in independent uh, comics, or at least creator-owned comics, um, is, is there part of that, is there any kind of loosening that you've seen on the editorial side, in terms of, of people not having to be Marvel or DC exclusive, or... Um, maybe, or is there perhaps even we're talking obviously image as well? Is it is it mm-hmm. something where where maybe they have um, didn't have to worry about the exclusivity either? Where they're able to just say yes, you can come write an image book, and no, you don't have to be image exclusive. Is that one of the things that it had changed, or is that all, or had that always been the case, really? Um,
3: that's an interesting question. I think. Um I mean, the only two, not the only two, but I would say that most of the editors I know, and um, either worked for DC or or Marvel, um, as the two biggest publishers, and, you know, not recently, but for the last 60, 50 years, they were really the ones that, that had the largest editorial staff at any given time, and they were also
0: the only ones that really Whoa, had whoa, whoa. you mean there's more than just Stan Lee at Marvel? What? <laughs>
3: Turns
0: out, he's I just thought like he filled in at the meetings, like in different costumes, like he does in the 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 Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just shows up like the Watcher, and he's like, eh, I like that book." Eh, Spider Man. Eh. Well, they do they do warn you
3: that at any given time, they say family is, is probably one of the people around you. Like you always know, it disguise yourself. you do this person one day, and you never know which one it is. Um, no, but anyway, um, what, was, what was I saying?
0: Uh... Oh, you were talking about the, the the size of the editorial staff before I yeah, really right. interrupted the you. That's, <laughs> you know, with, with natural kind of turnarounds, and, you know, you, either
3: you stay at Marvel or you stay at DC and you, you rise through the ranks, or uh, a lot of editors, you know, decide to, to pursue their own creative endeavors and become writers or become producers, and now, and now um, with, with Marvel and DC kind of, shifting, kind of shifting gears, just like, you know, building, building massive Titanic Highway, super highway to Hollywood. Um, I think there's kind of cross pollination from, from editorial, a little bit of kind of production stuff like that.
0: But um, well, that seems to be the case in image, though as well. Okay. Would, I mean, I think hmm? perhaps some of the the credit would go to The Walking Dead. I think for just expanding the, I mean, expanding their oh, yeah. profile massively. I, I should think.
3: Well, I think The Walking Dead you can credit with being the, you know, the one that, that kind of made the, you know, by the time The Walking Dead came out. Um, I mean, it's a TV show at this point. Um, the comic had been out for a while, um, and the comic was still, you know, sold well and was read and beloved by many. Um, but we, are, we already knew that comic books could make pretty good movies. Like, there have been a couple of movies at that time, but it was, everyone was trying to kind of crack that, that TV formula. And if you're the first one to crack it, you're, you know, you're always awarded with... You know, Marvel, Marvel was kind of the first to crack it with, with these, like, super mega blockbusters that also no one really expected... Um, this, this tiny little movie studio that just kind of came out of nowhere and now they're the biggest, you know, the biggest guy in town. Um, as far as editing goes, I think that it, it, it used to be in like the classic, you know, the classic Marvel or the classic DC editors like uh, Archie Goodwin and uh, and Mark Runewald. Like those are these, these like, these really looming figures, you know, that you aspire to. But I think that kind of editing has changed a lot where an editor is wearing even more hats than, than just the, make sure the comic comes out and make sure the, make sure Spider-Man has the right number of stripes on his head and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, looks, looks weird things where, um, you're kind of just the glue, I think, where, where you have to kind of identify what part of the book could be better or, or, or which person could use some help and facilitate that. And those are, I mean, it's going to be really boring, you know, it's it's basically project management or, like, people management or stuff like that where you're, you know, you're just kind of moving stuff along and making sure that everyone is in the position and in the the best mood to do the best job possible. Um, and the interesting thing about image is that image doesn't, you know, it's creator owned, so not that many image books have editors. I think a lot of them do have people that function in some way as editors. Um, uh, what's an example that I read recently? I think Kieran Gillen and, and, uh, Jamie McKelvey on, on The Wicked and the Divine I have an editor who is, like, I think she has nothing to do with comics. I think I, um, I think Kieran said someone that she's a poet of uh, by, by her own trade, so it's interesting to have, you know, her input in the story and in the characters because she is apparently not super well invested or somehow, you know, doesn't know, it's not like a big comic book nerd but that her input in just the
0: story is, is very valuable to him. And I think that that's really that's interesting, is that here you have a person who is functioning as an editor on
3: a comic book, but is otherwise not involved in the process at all. So there you have an example of, you know, what an editor can be, but, you know, if you, if you put her and me in a room, I don't know who we would, what we would
0: talk about other than... That seems to make sense, combine. though, because it, it sounds like, I mean, with Image in particular, being an editor there is more about having a relationship of, of trust with, uh, with the creators themselves, so essentially being the person that can be in the room and kind of rein them in and be like, you're not going to meet that deadline. <laughs> 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 you read your now. script, and, and you're also drawing your script that you just wrote. <laughs> Are you insane?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Definitely a situation where. But also
3: a skill that you learn. Like if you, if I look at my first year at Marvel, I was so like bad at my job. Like I was really uh, trepidatious about picking up the phone and calling creators. Like you know, talking to them on the phone. I was like, oh, because some of the people you start working with right off the bat is like, you know, artists, and writers were making comics before I was born. And I'm going to call them and be like, be here now. Uh, You know. uh,
0: Make sure you've had your ramen today.
3: Yeah, exactly. Steve Dillon, like I was working with him on Punisher. I was like, I used to cut school to read Preacher, you know. The <laughs> guy, you know, who like got me through most of high school would be like, See here now, we need, you know, more pages. But, again, that's a skill that you learn, and, um, yeah, definitely having, being an editor, not just an image, but in general, just means, you know, being good at communication, connecting with people, being able to talk to people, whether they be, have a problem, or they can't figure something out, or they're depressed, or or you know they're just not feeling great, or they're feeling really great, and just want to keep riding that. So, excuse me. Um, the thing about image is that you know they hire you, the, you know the, the great turnaround uh, of Marvel and DC, where you know as an editor you're also responsible for kind of managing your stable of writers and artists and making sure that your team, um, you know, is happy and working. And uh, it's, it's interesting to be in the other, you know. Because if I have, if, I don't. It doesn't happen that often where I have like straight up disagreements with the, with the writer I'm working with. But if we come up through an impasse, you know, I'll just be like, "Here's a couple of questions I have. Here's a couple of
0: potential solutions." But at the end of the day, you're the boss. Which is also kind of nice to say. You mean Jason Aaron doesn't put Molnir on a table and be like, "If you are worthy to be my editor and tell me what to write, you will be able to lift the hammer."
3: Uh, Jason could actually do that, you know. Like, he, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, he actually even looks a little bit like him. Like, what's well, the, the the bearded guy, you have to ask him three questions to cross his bridge. Um, <laughs> you can ask uh, me these questions three. No, I mean, <laughs> ultimately, you know, an, a, a writer, if any, any writer has ever worked with an editor, even the ones that they were made to work with, um, I would... I don't want to put a number to it, but I would say that you can still garner something from it. Unless you're, for some contractual reason, obliged or forced to, to take the editor's notes, that can be a, an unpleasant experience. And I've, I've been on both sides of that of that uh, discussion. And yeah, that can kind of suck. But um, ultimately, if the first set of eyes on your story and if, a good, if an editor is good and isn't, like, just, you know, there to... to leave his own dump drink etched into a story that he didn't write himself or she herself. then an editor can uh, help you craft, help identify any kind of problem, characteristics, uh, or just add an idea. Be like, this dude should
0: have, like, eight more guns, you know, coming out of his head. So, I believe that suggestion because I just not read not Men a, of Wrath.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I like the kind of thought that you said that, you know, editors are kind of, the glue that kind of holds everybody together. And, you, and I think editors are very much like an unsung kind of hero. Um, what Was that kind of what attracted you to wanting to be an editor? Was, you know, that, okay, I'm kind of the the wall that everybody kind of has to hit up against? Or what what kind of drove you to do that?
3: Um, oh, man, this is, this is going to make me... <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard story. It's not oh. a hard story. I did not really uh, know what an editor does, when right. I applied for a job as an editor, which I have to say, after
1: seven years of working in it, I, I have a thinking suspicion that there's other editors out there like me. Right, you know, yeah, I think on? most people don't know what editors really Don't worry, are. the editor of
0: our podcast doesn't <laughs> know what he's doing either. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, I um, I I was I graduated from, from college in 2000, whatever it was, six, seven, eight, and, uh, you know, as you do, you start sending out, Resumes here everywhere, and uh, I was in New York because my sisters live here, and I was visiting them. And I was like, "Oh, great, Marvels in New York City!" And I'm there. Why don't I just write them a, a resume and then send my send a cover letter in and tell them that I'm here and you know, do do one of those cold interviews that they always tell you to do, like even if they don't have a job offer, do an interview. I love it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> and uh, you know, millions really one shot. Um, there was some kind of a, you know, editorial switcheroo in that time, and, um, and they needed a couple of editors that the positions had opened. Um, and I got one, and like a week later, two weeks later, I started. So absolutely, like it doesn't happen. I was barely out of college. Uh, I didn't really <laughs> know what I was going into. And um, yeah, kind of landing, you know, hit the ground running. Um, but then after, you know, like six or whatever, the first half year where you're just any job, you're kind of floundering. I kind of started to parse start out what, what the job was and what I liked about it. And I also noticed like, what I was bad at and what I needed to change. Um, what I, Which, what again, I was like,
0: more guns. <laughs> you know, art and making comics. And I, I, I didn't particularly
3: grow up reading Marvel or superhero stuff exclusively, which might have actually been a thing that, that helped me along the way where... Um, I love manga, um, I'm, I'm from Germany originally, so I read a lot of European stuff, the French and the Spanish comics, the Italian. Um, so that kind of helped me, you know, maybe, I don't know how it helped me, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I w- always think about how I came this far and maybe that had something to do with it. Right.
0: Um, we didn't know you were German, but we just said, welcome to the podcast, the kind of epic show. Yeah! <laughs> oh no, we would add a zen. we'd be, we'd be kind of epic shows and Yeah!
1: That, that's all, I, I have no idea. You'd be, you'd be,
0: nerd management would be, in German, would probably sound very menacing. Probably. I, would was, no. <laughs> I, yeah, I, asked,
3: I I didn't even notice, because I always kind of put that off, like, the, the, the classic German, you know, like, stereotypes of, like, being on time and punctual. And being, like, <laughs> oh,
2: cried. oh, cried. yeah. <laughs>
0: but then it's totally, like, I was like, oh, it's totally true, like, I love making schedules and I
3: love like enforcing them and making sure people you know like when, when a when a book comes in on time or like I get five books out right on, on, on schedule. It's such a open it's such a nice feeling. You, you know, should be the, in charge
0: of every Kickstarter know, campaign. Like I'm like, yeah, I love Enforced the Rule. Oh,
3: it's so
2: awesome. But,
0: um... I think that's the thing that the fans are probably most frustrated with now, is we're suddenly learning about editing timetables because we're tired of our damn books not making it to us. I had a book that I ordered through Kickstarter, and I got it two years later oh, wow. for the first yeah, issue a... of what was supposed to be a six-issue oh, wow. <laughs> I'm never getting it really those tough, five I mean, um, there's, there's, no, there's no lack of talent out there,
3: even among, you know, not working professional writers and, and art, tons of artists. I mean, just, you know, internet, the internet now makes me sound old, oh, but, you know, look at Tumblr, look at Twitter. There's so much raw talent out there um, mm-hmm. that, and I've worked or been aware or, or, like, dipped my finger in a couple of other projects where, Everyone's raring to go. Everyone wants to, you know, the writer is in in shape and the artist is in the starting block, but it just, there's no craft involved. You know, it's all just um, desire and and wishing and and, and ideas and creativity and all that stuff is great. You need that, you need the raw ingredients. You also need to just sit down and work every day. And it's a grind, you know? I mean, talk to some of these artists or some of these writers, they sit at home in their rooms all day in their studios, Seventy-eight hours a day, more probably if you know, you you take one day off, you have to do double the next and then you do all nighters. And uh that's also something where an editor can you know, if you know that you're gonna get a phone call from some, you know, punk ass twenty six year old kid sitting in an office at Marvel, <laughs> maybe you'll you know, get up earlier the next morning and get one more page
0: out just to, just to shut it off or something like that. <laughs> you know. I, I, I would not have the discipline, just flipping through black science before we, we started. I, if I was an artist, I don't think that I would have the patience needed. I would just have too much self-questioning. If I was drawing a anthropomorphic frog stripper, <laughs> I think I would just be like, I'm questioning my life decisions right now. Did I did I spend thirty thousand dollars and go to art school for this? Am I willing to do this? <laughs> and at the same time, I'd also be thinking like, this is fantastic, isn't it? I'm getting paid to draw a frog stripper. <laughs> I would say if you end up making a living drawing frog
3: strippers, any any college education you have is well worth the, well worth the money. Um, but no, that's yeah, that's another. That's a, it's a very good. Uh, the very good, uh, point is that you're spending a lot of time in your head, uh, no matter if you're any, doing anything like writing and drawing. And I think, you know, a lot of artists watch a lot of, you know, watch TV or watch a lot of or listen to a lot of movies, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just to spend the time. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had that conversation with some people who are like, what the fuck are we doing with our lives? <laughs> and, oh, sorry, cursing, I don't know if it's, Oh, it's a it's a podcast. It's fine. Oh, yeah, fine. it's not yeah. as if there was a small
0: child pressed up to the glass room that we're in.
2: Yeah. There you go.
0: That actually was, but um, don't don't mind us. <laughs> no, um I, I was going to ask one one quick question about the um and yes, cursing is absolutely fine. In yeah, fact, yeah. it's probably encouraged. But the um uh you, cuz you mentioned uh reading manga you mentioned being born in in or having having foundations in in germany as well and 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 reading different groups we we actually had this conversation um via twitter which is part of the reason that you're on the show um because there was a, co- a conversation about kind of global comics culture and about um about whether it became or whether it would be cultural appropriation in terms of, of assigning titles and kind of, kind of a weird, metastasized conversation on Twitter, which is not normally high-minded discussion territory, if we're honest. So I, I just thought it was fascinating. And you seem to have, have a really good, um, just a good handle on things because of, of, of a somewhat more global perspective in terms of the comics industry. And I was just wondering if you had had time to kind of process yet or like what your take on that whole discussion... Ended up being. Yeah,
3: yeah. Actually, I went back to it the next. I I don't really do that. I am on Twitter, but I'm I'm usually there to, you know, let people know about books and shoot out stupid jokes and stuff like
0: that. (laughs) You know, the
3: usual.
2: Sure, sure. Um,
3: And I saw that. You know, it's always kind of a a danger when you're when you see a story, a story, quote unquote. You know, it's it's. You click on a link, you read something, and you're like, I'm outraged. I'm going to tweet back. So I went back to it the next day and kind of saw the story unfold, and um, Deb Deb Aoki um, actually gathered a lot of those, you know, the conversation and tweets and put it back, and and I started reading it, and um, I mean, I guess for people who don't know, there was, uh, just to recap what it was, there was a webcomic that was supposed to come out called uh, Magic Shonen Breakfast Club, or something along those lines, which uh, looked very, looked nice, pages that I saw looked very, very good. Um, you know, two semi-pro or or, or enthusiast comic book creators. Um, both of them apparently white, both dudes were gonna draw and write a comic about. Um, I don't even really know what it was about.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's I mean, only six pages so in. <laughs> that was
3: my main point: is that I didn't know what it was about, and neither could have probably the person who wrote to them outrage and saying this. Is typical, you know, this appropriation of Japanese culture, why can't you, like, write comics about your own culture, and then they responded with, uh, well, we actually both lived and studied in Japan and know the language, and, you know, we're trying to do a love letter to the culture and to the comics, and then the guy, or whoever it was, fired back, like, oh, you know, that's, you can't just say, how how arrogant is it to say that just because you study Japanese you can make a comic about this culture, and I was just like, when I read that, I was yeah. like, ah, is kind of where it stops for me. Yeah. Because I can totally understand uh, cultural appropriation. That's where you came in when you were like, well, think about it. Or whoever I was tweeting with at the time I was like, well, cultural appropriation is a thing. And,
0: you know, as a straight white dude, I have to also be a little, occasionally I'll find myself... That's where I was coming from. So, I'm like, wait, I'm wait a minute. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I have to, so have to, had to, to hit think, the brakes. Like, wait a second. Do I feel this way because I actually think that?
3: Or do I feel this way because no one's ever called me on it and pushed me on it? And uh, that is definitely something that I, I try to do anyway. But um, I guess my, my, my main thing was that I could, I could, I'm I happy to have, I, I love being dental advocate in almost any conversation, but I would always uh, argue more for more art and for more story than Preach. for less. Because if, if these two dudes were going to... Put their foot in their mouth and, and do something really, really embarrassing or, or offensive. Even that would have happened, and then you could have seen that. But as it stands, they they backed away so quickly that we were robbed of the story that they were going to tell. And it's going to be Joe Doroski's
0: doing. We're going to have we're we'll have the Ma- Maho Shojin Breakfast Club documentary twenty years from now. <laughs> Look it's at exactly these great layouts sure. that now we had. You had no now idea. It's just like, now it's just
3: should have happened and that's another thing we were talking about before is that you have so much raw talent out there but very very few people really have both the talent and the the wherewithal and the the, what do you want to call it gumption or just hard work to get it done and it, it looks like these two guys were you know on the cusp of putting out a little comic book that could have you know maybe launched their careers in the industry or in another industry and that would have all been fine or they could have put out something that just you know went away because so many comics do. The best comics. You read them and you're like, I like this. And then they go away. And, and then another comic comes out. That's just the way the industry works.
0: Speaking of things well, that it, fade it away into like, the ether. what barrier what can... in
3: front of it? You know? Yeah. and and Because it insulted this one dude who might have even just been a troll.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah, he's so funny that he had really poor Japanese. Like, that was the thing. It was probably not a native well, Japanese speaker thing, who yeah, was making and fun and of them. Especially, there's something about... Japan and Japanese pop culture and anime
3: and manga specifically that has such a rat tail of, like, experts behind it that are, like, so quick
0: to jump up and be like, How dare you? It's, it's pronounced manga. Just like, guys,
3: guys, chill out. I like Evangelion, too, but let's, you know, let's all take a step back. I actually don't like Evangelion. That was just... That's, really but,
0: <laughs> that's um, a fair point, considering. Yeah, I mean, any, any, all of my... well, not all, but
3: so many of my favorite manga... Are like appropriated, like you know, Japan looking at whatever was on TV in America in the eighties and was like, we can beat that. This is going to be way better. <laughs> and then just like knocking it out of the park with, you know, it's half the fun. is like, the, you know, when when you misunderstand another culture and you just get it wrong and kind of, I guess that could be taken out of context, but I, I think that there's ultimately. You should let people tell a story. And
0: once the story is sort of done, you can sit down and be like, here's the problem with it. It's okay to like problematic art is a thing that I don't think Americans or at least the Tumblr generation is aware of yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a, I mean, it's To Kill a Mockingbird is, is like in the top 10 books every year and it's... it's I don't even... I don't really like it. <laughs> but, but it's... It, you could argue that, well, that even though it's a is problematic it? book, it's from, it's from a, it's a, a white perspective on, on race in the South. And is that as valid as, like, a Toni Morrison or, or somebody, a person of color's view on those subjects? Is that more important and, and overshadowed by the topic? But nobody's really making that argument because they're teaching it in schools. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's it's art is art, is art, and it's okay to even like problematic okay. art or, or learn from it or criticize it, but then if it doesn't exist, you can't really do that because it's gone. Right. Well, I would agree with that, is that you can have that, you can
3: only have the conversation, you know, as a this book written by you know a white author about you know the black experience in the south and slavery and stuff like that if he had just brought you know if the first chapter of that book had come out online like that second chapter probably would never have happened or something you know that's what i'm saying like let the book let the work of art be written and then let it stand on its own and obviously there's any number of ways you can counter that argument as well You're like oh would you allow a speech to just Like, no, guys, that's not what we're talking about. Like, we're talking about a comic that was called Magic Shonen Breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the and, thing,
0: is it was definitely not, on, on the scale of, like, of Twitter outrage, it was pretty low because we're, like, dealing with ultimately kind of a silly subject. What I liked is the fact that it brought, like, people like you or Jim Zumba on board and and just, the fact that I think it came mainly from, from, from just Deb Aoki. She's, like, the center of anime Twitter, I think, Deb Aoki. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, did, she did. She's, she's tireless at, at, at kind of fostering uh, a
3: conversation where if you follow her, she'll kind of like start retweeting people who, who she thinks are, you know, contributing to the conversation, but from both sides of the argument. And then people kind of respond to that. I've been kind of like watching her uh, the template. I've been, I've seen other like Twitter conversations that she's kind of fostered, almost like, a, you know, like in a dialogue, you know, have a moderator. And um, and then she she goes the trouble to write it up the next day and kind of uh, uh, you know kind of funnel what good came out of it because 8% of probably everything is just like not not good at all so yeah she does a good job and that was an interesting I, I definitely learned something I came back the next day and you know reread
2: my tweets and I was like oh I just I just take a giant shit you know on my own <laughs> <laughs> well yeah that's
0: that's what I wanted to ask is uh, before we kind of close out this part of the discussion I'm going to hand over. Um, some more comics questions to, to Alec if you have the time um, and again, thank you for your time You've been very courteous already no, with probably. about 30 minutes. Would you be comfortable talking for a full hour if that'd be okay? Yes, yeah, it's Sounds good to me. Are you comfortable with a full hour? Yeah, I'm fine. yeah, yeah, So yeah, um, it just uh, <laughs> just wanted to say you, the reason I thought it was interesting to have you or, or Jim or other people come on board is because um, we we're talking about the American comics that have Japanese writers, have, have Japanese... I mean, heck, Sandman had a Japanese artist on it, which is, it was freaking fantastic. But the, and so it's, there's, there's that cross-pollination now, which is making really fun works like, um, like Wayward from, from Jim Zub, or um, uh-huh. I think in, in, in your case, the upcoming Tokyo Ghost, which I wanted to, to learn a little bit more about and give you the chance to promote. Um... Uh. I can not talk too much about it. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the comics industry, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, there's this cool yeah, thing I'm gonna do. Would you like to hear about it? Too bad. <laughs>
3: uh, no, I don't I don't want to um, preempt the you know, the creative the creative team right away right from Andrew and the artist uh Sean um, Sean Jesus Christ. Uh,
0: <laughs> wow, that's a good title. The
3: uh, wow, this is this is uh, Sorry, I
0: am. No, I uh, threw it out of left field because that's easy. You're, you're so good at your job, you're trying to edit yourself. <laughs> Sean Murphy is one of the best artists working in comics right now. And I'm like, mm. Sean, and the Hollingworth is the Matt Hollingford is one of the best awesome colorists in the industry working right now. It's wonderful, wonderful team. Really, that's um, all you need to say to, to recommend the book, is the fact that it's Rick Remender, Matt Hollingsworth, and, and, and Sean. And so that's and Sean Murphy, yeah. Yeah, that's probably, no, um, if, if you can't say anything more, we're fine, because that's a, hey, put that on your pull list. <laughs> Pre- no, <laughs> pre-order no, that no. One. I'm, I'm so like, have to fight
3: my list and sort to talk about it, but, I mean, it's been, you know, we released or we announced it at least last year, even, it's been kind of pretty long in the making, a um, pretty big lineup, so, you know, when you're living with it for, for that long, you really can't wait to start talking about it but we're just about to kind of roll out I think you know zeroing in on when it's going to happen this year but um it's um
0: maybe keep our eyes peeled at comic con or something of that nature um I'm not 100% sure because that
3: again is 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 usually up to uh the, the creators themselves and I do get brought in to like know what's going on but I think that they might still be you know, Summer's is a really big, busy entertainment time. You've got everything that happens around comics, and then you also have everything that happens in comics. Um, which, you know, I think Marvel and DC people have really big events. I mean, they always do, but these, like, seem even bigger than big. Um, so, yeah, Tokyo Ghost is a sci fi story set in the not so far future. It's pretty recognizable, but it's set in New Los Angeles, which has just this, become this, you know, it's, toxic deadly like you guys remember one of my favorite movies is demolition man which starts in the in the deadly future of 1997 <laughs> 1994 and it's like l.a it's like they set the hollywood side on fire and it's still burning and everything sucks and and every time you know the demolition man walks to a building he blows it up for some reason um
1: and they've invented cryogenic down. freezing already. And all My favorite thing is that,
0: that is that uh, from that film is that Taco Bell is the high class restaurant. Yeah, <laughs>
2: the only real yeah, man
3: that's a, that's a future I don't want to live in. That's right.
2: Um, <laughs> that's a future your <laughs> colon doesn't want to live in.
0: The, the taco shits are like
3: the world killer, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, it's a short about
3: Tokyo. So Those are really all I, I think. A, a couple of you know pages online of, of, of art, definitely. Um, and their listeners over there, but um, it's basically a world where entertainment is the only product, the only thing that is still being made, and it's the only thing people watch, Be it, you know, like gladiator battles or pornography or any number. Like everyone has like a million screens around their head at all times: Twitter, Instagram. But, you know, not not too far from what we have now, only a little bit grimmer and dirtier. And uh, organized crime uh, is rampant and and you know, where organized crime nowadays kind of runs drugs and what have you, um, and this huge organized crime runs exclusively entertainment, which again yes. yes, isn't too far from the truth, right? A lot of big sports entertainment is, is definitely uh, ties to organized crime, always has. Um, and these crime families or crime conglomerates have specific enforcers that are kind of, you know, uh, there to make sure that nobody oversteps their territory and their boundaries. And then our two main characters are uh, Led Dent, and uh, he's he's one of these enforcers. This brooding, hulking guy who rides this, like, awesomest motorcycle since Akira, I think, ever in, in, like, comics. And he's got a handler called David Decay, who is, you know, every one of these enforcers kind of has a wrangler, because they can go totally off the deep end. And uh, that's kind of all I can say, is that the first issue is by Manas. I think Rick Remender writes some of the best first issues in comics, period. So, Pedal to the Metal. And, um, yeah, and Sean draws the best everything, you know. And uh, he loves motorcycles, and oh, the first issue is, like, a motorcycle chase with a ton of action. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to talk about
0: it, like, so much, so maybe when it comes out, we'll come on again. and just talk. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Hour about it. About, about Tokyo, Ghost. but um, I'm definitely
3: very excited for that to come out, and uh, would love to talk more about it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I and that kind of brings me to <clears throat> some of the kind of uh, stuff from Image that's coming out. You know, just kind of the the material that's kind of been from uh, books like Seven Bastards and Low. It's, it's it's just been kind of incredible. And in the wicked, and the divine, like you kind of said earlier. Um, how closely do you kind of work with, you know, Jay, or Jason Aaron from Southern Bastards or Rick from, you know, Low, um, to to bring out some of that content that, that that is actually coming out?
0: I mean, he's on all of those uh-huh. books as well, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah. Well,
3: um, with Rick's books, I was there for all of the ones I'm working with him on now. I was I was there like at the conception. You know, I was talking to Rick and the and the artists in question right from the start. Basically we had a concept and you know, we're quite to talk for the artists a little bit and then we kind of got, got really working. So you're you're building the from the ground up. Um, when specifically for Southern Bastards, I was brought on by the, by Jason Aaron and Jason Latour, the artist. Um, they were already pretty well into it. So they really knew what they were going for. And the whole first arc was, was pretty much already set in their mind. But the mm-hmm. second one was as well. Because um, I think they've they talked about it for a really long time, I think they've been friends for a long time, and I'm sure it's like one of those comics that kind of tell that it's one they've been waiting to do for a long time. Um, sometimes you sit on ideas or stories or characters, even little moments for years before you can finally, you know, put them down on a page. So in that case, I was, I was kind of brought in to, to make sure that the production runs smoothly. And then obviously it's, you know, love the characters, love the book so far up my alley. But now that we're, you know, wrapping um, season, season, Tom's season, wrapping <laughs> the second arc, uh, uh, this week actually, Hey, it has, it has a cinematic feel to it.
0: That's, that's, that not, that's kind of a Freudian slip. I think that's part of what people enjoy about Southern Bastards. In particular, yeah. I've heard it described as Breaking Bad and Friday Night Lights uh, comic book love child. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Which, again, is the, the beauty of comics that it got someone... Uh, I'm not I'm not a sports guy at all. Football in particular, I really only my old roommate is a huge was a huge football fan still is and and he would always try to get me into it explain the rules, create a kind and I was like I going to watch as long as there's wings and beer and that whole side of the sport I can totally get behind. But (laughs) and again Southern Bastards like as long as there's you know family drama and and bloodshed and and barbecue uh, I can totally get behind uh, some football and uh, the whole second arc is, is just football non-stop, you know, so, but, that being said, I did grow up in Germany, and I understand passion for sports, the same passion that, you know, Americans have for football, Germans, Italians, and everyone else has for soccer. Does a little part so, of you die
0: inside as as somebody who who had that culture, just like, every time somebody calls it football, and you're like... Well, in our countries, there's a little word that, that uh, we don't, I, we don't let people I mean. call. <laughs> we don't let people call football. I,
3: I try not to give people more ammunition to just fire at me. So <laughs> I to, uh, um, no, if I, if I like, pull out my German hat, I usually just buy to people. Because you can, you're just like, you know, but in Germany, we... Uh, you know, we don't, we don't believe in Friday, because, and then you just tell them something about the Kaiser. <laughs> if, you have, if you have one
0: Saturday immediately following the second Saturday, it's far more efficient to get more work done, and then everybody is less happy because of the weekend, so, I mean, it's really not worth it. Why, why do you need a Friday? Sounds
2: pretty good.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and you're an editor, so you can make that happen. You just call Rick Remender and be like, yeah, about Friday. <laughs> Yeah, I, we're getting rid of that from the schedule the, the days of the week it's every day is every day is a deadline yeah. just shift all the days around
3: <laughs> um no with Southern Bastards we're uh, now that the third arc is kind of taking shape I can you know I'm, I'm on the you know phone calls or I'm on the documents where we're kind of pounding out the 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 raw character beats and the raw moments and uh I'm a little bit in one on the ground floor but um Jason and Jason, I think, have this, have the thing under lock and key. They know pretty much exactly where everything's going. And, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's sometimes hard when you, and another thing that, really like all the books I work on, um, but it's hard to know everything. There's some a couple of moments coming in all of these books that I kind of really wish I could just read, you know, or just experience.
0: Nobody listens uh, to either of our podcasts, so if you'd like to let them know about yeah. those moments.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I mean, in this day and age, um hard to, hard to experience something spoiler-free or, or, you know, if you're in, if, if on any kind of social media or if you're interested in anything, you, you're probably already kind of being pre, pre-informed about the nature of the story. And uh, I think that's what I like about comics, because it doesn't happen too often. Um, unless you're like knee deep in, I don't know, reading cool forums, um, you can still read a comic and just be completely blown away. You know, mm. um, that's stuff I enjoy. So like, kind of crafting those. I mean, the, the general consumption of, of, of just story, I think, has gone up so dramatically in the last ten years. with like the advent of this you know, wonderful golden age of television and. Um, the viewer just becomes more savvy and, you know, as a storyteller, you then have to become, you know, have, to have savvy, a now more savvy audience. You have to try and craft experiences that are, you know, unexpected and, and subvert expectations and all that stuff. And I, I think comics will have to really go to hand at that. Um, anyway, sorry, I went off tangent there for a second. No,
1: you're, no, you're fine. <laughs> uh, so I, something I kind of wanted to what I've always been kind of wondering is, so Image has kind of a, a, a cool selling point in that the first trade of the story is actually going to be only $10. And, uh-huh. since, and since you've kind of been <clears throat> from the ground floor with, you know, books like Lowe, do you guys kind of put together that first story arc knowing, or you, I mean, does it change knowing that, okay, well, this trade's going to be only $10, so if people are going to pick up a trade, it's going to be that first one. And they're, and they're going to judge it by that. Does that ever kind of creep into um, creep into your guys' minds? You know, when you're putting together a story like that.
3: Um, not. I wish. No. Well, it it sort of comes
0: up, but only like halfway through the arc when you kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, this book's going to last for an issue have <laughs> to get yeah. a trade. Fuck. <laughs> I mean, I mean, great. <laughs> well, all three of uh, Black Science, Daily Class, and. Um, I don't know. Um, oh, yeah, 16, Deadly class is what we uh, really brought uh, that yeah. up, yeah. Which is a lot of, like... You listed three, 10 books to start that week, you missed that one. <laughs> yeah. And the first, I
3: think it black time, like the first issue was is usually oversized, uh, and then the last issue was, so, uh, yeah, I think what, what especially with, with Rick, because it happened three times, kind of talk about it, it was like... Yes, we're giving, you know, the book is going to be, you know, $9.99, and, you know, another issue in there means, you know, more, you know, the reader is getting more back for their bucks, but we also have to kind of budget our, you know, production and all that stuff. But ultimately, and this is, you know, a whole hiccup break in the highest regards, is that he's like, the first trade is the one that's going to be printed along. That's going to be the one that if anyone comes back for the second one, it's going to be because they love the first one. No one's going to, like, jump into, maybe like the one in a hundred readers like Science 3 was amazing I'm gonna go read all <laughs> you know what I mean? but um for the most part you wanna you wanna hook people from the start people wanna know the story from the start and as a storyteller you also want people to be it from the start you know um you don't want people to walk into you know half of your movie and then although actually I the first Star Wars I ever saw was like I saw the last 10 minutes of Return of the Jedi, where Luke is like, getting his ass fried by the Emperor, Yeah, and it was so weird, and so, like, scary, and then in my mind, I was like, what is this movie? This is amazing, it's so <laughs> weird, and then I went back and watched it, I was like, oh, it's science fiction, I thought it was, like, a wizard, or something, <laughs> well, I mean, it's sort of his, he's a space wizard, but...
2: Yeah, I the same think, thing. You
0: know. I think you are fine. that <laughs> trilogy was fully <laughs> operational. <laughs>
3: there you go. Yeah, an is always fully operational. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think yeah, definitely the first trade should always be number I think like, that's a great a great way to get people on board, um, especially for those first. You know, I think there's a lot of readers out there who like read number one of everything. Yeah. You know, and then not not so much number two. Kind of like enjoy the the freshness of a number one. But I also know there's a lot of readers who just read trade, So the first trade has a lower barrier of entry and get a full story. Um, you know, because every, every trade should be its own kind of little circle and then be
1: part of a bigger circle. So. Absolutely. And and I, I, I find that a lot of people, especially with image books in particular, they kind of trade weight anyway. So, I mean, it's kind of... Yeah. Because they know that... Those first, you know, those six issues or whatever, those are going to be kind of a, a tight-knit story, you know? Yeah, it's kind of the, uh, the I don't think it's the downside, but it's, it's just how story works. Like, you can't
3: run all the time, and if someone could do it, it would be recommended, because books move fast. <laughs> right. Um... But, yeah, I mean, your second and your third. For some reason, I always love the third issues of of ARCs. Every third issue of every book I've put out so far at Image has always been my favorite. Black Sign 3 and Slow 3 and Deadly Class 3 and Southern very strange. Um, Which one had the
0: frog stripper? Just because I'm saying that was what hooked me on the black science. <laughs> I'm not weird. I, it's, it's just a thing that I'm like, I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> like, that's a thing that somebody yeah. had to draw and they had the balls to pull it off. <laughs> it was fantastic. Well, that's the,
3: that's the, the nice thing. Uh, you know, it's the, the number one reason for you know, every making comics for Marvel, NBC, and every other publisher is always going to be your upsides and your downsides. But obviously the biggest upside, you know, to Creator Own is that you don't even have to give that a second thought. You know, you just you just think is it the best for the story and then you just put it right in there. Um, and sometimes it's hard, you know, sometimes you have so many ideas you can't even tell which is the right one to, to put in and you you second guess yourself. There's definitely more second guessing on Creator Own.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, well, occasionally, than something like Marvel. Because Marvel, you can always, you know DC. Like if you're working for one of the big two, I mean they even name them that way, so you can always kind of be like, oh, the man told me to do this. <laughs> it's not my fault. I'm not a failure. Um, but that's the exciting and you know also a little scary thing of creator-owned. Is that it's all you, baby? What's on these pages? That's that's what they're gonna know you for. So make it good. And, and general coloring lettering design all these guys make it look really
1: good all these guys and girls yeah absolutely and I it, it's funny you know we keep making the joke about you know the the frog stripper or whatever because some of the content that are in these books black science I'm just saying yeah you know, I'm not
0: going to probably find that at Marvel and as a, <laughs> right. as, as a as a new as somebody who's who's fairly new to, to, to <clears throat> the medium of comics somebody who who would read manga in in general because it was either more available because I would I was able to pick it up in a bookstore and I was more likely ah. to be in a bookstore than a specialty shop uh, growing up, or just because they had a wider variety of things. Like you mentioned, Southern Bastards, obviously, it's not exactly a sports uh, like a sports manga. It's not exactly a you Opeeta, know, but no. I mean the idea. Like if I if you you could they don't seem as limited in genre, and it seems like we're at that point in the in the comic cycle, kind of like it was in the Golden Age again, where. You can yeah. write a book about anything. There isn't a limitation. It doesn't have to be a superhero story, or it can't be a superhero story. That's also a sports story. Who gives yeah. a fuck? <laughs> you yeah. can do whatever you want. And, and,
1: and that's what I—that's what I was—that's what I said. When, you know, at the beginning of the interview, is you know those three titles that I said. Those are kind of
0: a sports story, snapshots uh, of, a yeah. site, an alternate mm-hmm. reality story. So it's very science fiction. And then um, the third, how would you describe low? Also science fiction. Very
1: Yeah, right, uh, right, Sebastian. I mean, that's kind of. Yeah. I'd, I'd say yeah, yeah. Nary
0: a superhero in between those three Yeah
1: No yeah. No not any,
3: not not superheroes I wonder mm-hmm. if I'll ever feel like I really want to do a superhero comic um,
0: Again We did Deadpool um, and Wolverine so yeah those aren't too shabby Yeah
3: Oh I mean yeah I've, I've definitely written the, the superhero wars for a while um, which is I was, I was always lucky to kind of edit the ones that, that um, or work with the ones that were you know, like kind of my way, like Wolverine and the Punisher, and all those like gruff, violent, you know, damned uh, guys who, who can't stop being violent and make the world worse every time they set foot into it. Like, that, that's totally my jam. Um, I, I get in trouble when I have to, you know, like edit or work on or even conceive like a do-gooding, optimistic superhero, which is strange because Spider-Man like my favorite character, the only superhero I read when I was a kid, and it's one of the only, I think it's actually the only character I never got to work with. Which is probably for the best, because...
0: Yeah, know, they don't know. let Frank Castle play with the other the other kids. <laughs> they, they definitely don't let him around the impressionable teenager in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, uh, we don't let Frank in here. like a party, uh, the Marvel party, in fact. Like in the bushes
3: outside with his nose pressed <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't meet him there.
0: <laughs> I would one thing I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't ask, because you worked on on Deadpool, and we, we talked earlier in the interview about um, just kind of the cinematic approach to, to storytelling that you have at, at Image, um, the, how these properties cross over into new mediums, obviously everything at Marvel, <laughs> The Walking Dead and Preacher at Image, um, and I think even at this point, um, gosh, what's that other uh, that other book from the, the Walking Dead, the one about the possessions that got picked up for stars too. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, that's like four properties right off the back um, there on, on television. Um, and so obviously the Deadpool movie is coming out. And one of the things I'd like to know is what do you think fans should want? <laughs> what do you as somebody who's been immersed in that in that material? What should fans expect? What do you expect as a fan from that movie? Not even taking off the, the editor cap for a second. Um. I actually didn't know about the Deadpool movie. I always thought that yeah, got was greenlit. Really it was funny. it was on the back burner for years, and then somebody at Marvel leaked the test footage that they'd made at Comic Con as kind of like right. a fan as a fan thing. The test footage was like almost ten years old at this mm. point. It came out with X Men Origin when they were just after filming that. Yeah, and okay, that's the last time I saw him, and that was when they sewed his mouth shut
3: and made him like. The least. Well, they showed everybody yeah, associated yeah.
0: with that film's mouth shut. Uh, well, Paul Jenkins did it personally, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he was so, but I no. thought it was on purpose for a while. I had like a conspiracy theory. It was like, is that a
3: character assassination? Like, literally, are they trying to destroy Deadpool? <laughs> <laughs> <Very> <laughs> Deadpool yeah. No, that's silly. Um, I mean, if they're making one, and um, their movies... I don't know, it's, it, seems, it seems weird to me, because Deadpool is such a strange character. If you look at all the Marvel movies, even, and the ones that they have the most success with, and... For you know, there's no reason to believe that they won't continue to have a crazy success. Is that Deadpool? Is um, I hope that if they do make you know, whoever's making the movie, and obviously not listening, but I hope yeah. they, they maybe be just genuinely a tragic character. That um, there's a lot of real like the, the whole character is just a reaction to this world and how terrible it is, and that the only thing you can do is be crazy and laugh at it And it would um, be it actually after you you, you know we, we set up this interview there was twitter I don't know who sent it there was a colorist who had recolored just a, a piece of you know like concept art an artist called Daniel Warren Johnson who I really really like who mm. does a web comic called um, Space Mullet and I think he's doing a ghost fleet with the artist on that Um, He drew a Deadpool image that that is fantastic, it's just Deadpool sitting in an easy chair in an empty room. Um, He's got like a little side table and there's like two cans of Pepsi on it or something and his sword is leaning up again. It's it's like Norman Rockwell Deadpool and he's just kind of sitting there with his hands in his lap and I was like that's awesome because that's how Deadpool is when no one's looking. When he doesn't have an audience he just sinks into himself and he can't even deal with himself. Because I always liked Deadpool as a a character who was a mercenary when he was human and he did horrible, horrible things for money because that's what people do. And then he found himself in a situation where... Now, the only thing he wants to do is die, but he can't because he's got these powers that were given to him. And I don't know, like, it's it's, it's chilling to me. It's It's not a funny character to me at all. But it is funny because that's how he chooses to react to... Ultimately, a cold and, and indifferent world. It sounds very cheesy and very like Nietzschean and all that, you know. Well, the root of the good humor, humor is always you. tragedy. But yeah, exactly. I mean, it is a tragic character, and I think you know the, the, the good Deadpool writers have always understood that and have always kind of made. Um, so he wears the mask. He can't like deal with his ugliness. He can't deal with the reality of things. He puts on the mask. You know, you can go, get super cheesy about it, and Ultimately ultimately, he's, he's a violent Spider-Man with two guns who, who loves tacos and all that like you know very easy uh kind of fun stuff you know it's always satisfying and you can do anything you want to write any Deadpool story you want but if they're gonna make a good movie out of it i hope that they understand that part which they probably can't do because wasn't that the plot of the last wolverine movie where he's like we're gonna make you kill yourself or you can now die yes essentially yeah yeah.
0: Yeah, No, I, um, the test footage that they leaked uh, cuz if you haven't seen it, go please go see it. It was really what got the the project greenlit again. Yeah. And it, at this point it really isn't pre-production where they've actually hired everybody and, and brought it back on board. And the I think you'll be happy to hear that like Ryan Reynolds really got the the tone of the character and the the mask the, the footage and everything. It's always just fantastic. You you I think you'll really enjoy it. Um there's even there's even a a bit where he 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 um is uh, well the, the, there's a car chase like you mentioned it's very much like a Rick Remender story so you'll enjoy it a lot <laughs> actually yeah for some reason I never I never had a problem with the casting choice I was like no I can see that yeah, <laughs> no he's still he's still Deadpool that was yeah, the thing Is everybody yeah. looked at that and they're like yay <laughs> that was fantastic yeah. that's what we wanted why, keep this guy yeah even well, like you know like I
3: don't know for some reason why I like the like the Hollywood, you know, all the dudes there look the same, basically. They're all like these buff, chiseled guys. And, uh, but for some reason, I, dudes are always angry at Ryan Reynolds for being, like, hot. You know, when ladies like Ryan Reynolds are like, oh, it's oh, him, why? Ugh. And, like, <laughs> that's, that's like a Deadpool reaction, because that's another thing I really want in the movie that everyone hates Deadpool. Like, people don't want to be around him. If there's other superheroes around him, because I can't wait to get away from him. Um, yeah, I want the movie to be really hard on Deadpool. Is basically what I want because that's when he kind of shines. When the world just shows him how how shitty it is, yeah. and then he can react accordingly.
1: No, I I, I agree. I think um, yeah, I, no, I think you're right. I think he, he everybody kind of likes the whole <clears throat> Deadpool, like when he's on, like when people are watching him, and when he feels like he kind of has to break the fourth wall all the time. But I I'm mm-hmm. kind of with you. I think it needs to be just a very you know like nobody likes this character why why do we care what this character does you know
0: I like the, the recent yeah. thing in Magneto, where um, you had all these characters at the end, big event, access book or whatever, and Magneto's going to save the day, and he, so he has to gather up all the villains to have their moment. And then he goes to Deadpool, and in the Magneto issue, it's, Deadpool, would you like to come? <laughs> and then that's it. It's essentially just like a one-panel thing to get Deadpool. Yeah. That takes up the entire Deadpool issue. <laughs> <laughs> and it's he and Magneto are fighting this epic battle against against robots and stuff, and and then, then he only reluctantly agrees to go because it's important, and, I don't know, it's, it's fantastic. Like, see, I think that was a fun way recently of just, like, encapsulating, like, how dramatic things have to be for him to get by, so yeah. if they get a little bit of that, I'll be happy, I don't know. I, I do still want I Jimmy Chongas though, so maybe that's I mean, just a sad part of not, me. <laughs> or the I'm hungry part of me, I mean, today. I'm not fighting for the gritty, think piece of Deadpool, like, you know, it goes without...
3: Saying that I want like as many backflips and wheel cartwheeling ninjas, and you know, I don't know. I, I hope that they like throw in a cameo of like some sillier Marvel characters and
1: villains. Just like, Phil Ben in there, you know. Everyone. Oh, yeah.
0: The wizard's never been seen on screen. Seen on screen, and this day and age, and also like Marvel movies can do no wrong. So it's been, like,
3: if there's no one in their production studio that's like, let's put the Bill Ben in there, he's gonna have his own Netflix series in a month. Yeah. America is
0: ready. Yeah. Um, or, you heard uh, it first here on kind of epic show in nerd management, <laughs> Stiltman. It's got a thirty oh. episode, or thirty thirty issue order. <laughs> oh
3: man, that'd be amazing. The troll, <laughs> trolling human. Like, put one of those old monster, like Marvel monster characters in there. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: it's like Man-Thing. Just do Man-Thing. Why not? He should fight Fing-Fang-Foom. you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> or, yeah, no,
0: no, he should just be barbecuing with them. That should be the thing. Yeah. They should...
3: They should I bet you Ray Harry has like in his, in his garage has like a Thing fang foom You just put a little put a little undies on him and, and stop motion animate your way to glory. <laughs> um, oh, man. I kind of want to like make a Deadpool movie. It's <laughs> <laughs> like whole cloth switches to stop motion animation halfway through or like, or like marionette. Sure. You know, we're like, oh, we couldn't, we can't, we can't pay that, you know, Marvel CGI
0: money, so it's just like, geez, dude, that's how it's how Deadpool actually years. sees the world. It's actually a Ray Harryhausen flick. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> like, again, that's something, you know, the fourth wall breaking, however they do that. Um. I don't know. Yeah, all of a sudden I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of into the idea.
0: <laughs> uh, well, thank you, thank just you. Just think so. about comics. doesn't
3: take doesn't take much to get excited about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been so kind. You've given us um, a, a whole hour of your time, and um, I just want to close by giving you the, the best chance to promote yourself. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter, where they can pick up um, all of the the books. Um, in addition to, to all the image titles you talked about, I think the other um, Men of Wrath is available at Icon. Um, and okay. uh, I think, are there any other, any other, um, we, we didn't talk about deadly class at all and it's fantastic. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah just, just close by, by letting them know everything that you're working on because somehow we listed eight titles and that wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, like I said,
3: it's been very, very fortunate, very busy couple of years. Um, as for myself, I'm, my name is Sebastian Turner. Um, I'm on Twitter at S- G-I-R-N-E-R, um, follow if you like anything you've heard tonight, and if you, you know, don't mind uh, me tweeting like, the cover of black metal albums into your timeline, because I tend to do that because they're awesome. <laughs> um, you can find most of the books I work on at, at uh, Image, at your local comic book store. Um, we've got Black Science, um, which is volumes one and two are out of trade. Putting out issue thirteen this week. Daily class uh, second trade is I think coming out next week. So we'll have two of those. Southern Bastards is one trade out now. And, uh, issue eight printing the print this week. Going to be in stores hopefully uh, what's the next month, early April. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we have? Low again. Rick, Remender, Rick Catini. Wonderful. We just first trade paper action the in stores here nine ninety nine and uh, six issues of. of Really, really beautiful, uh, depressing, gut wrenching sci-fi action. Um, there's a book called Drifter, which I spoke about briefly. It's, uh, writers Ivan Brandon, artist mm-hmm. Nick Klein. I think one of the best looking books of the last ten years. Nick is an amazing artist uh, from Germany, so it's fun to work with a, a countryman <laughs> on that book. Um, we just put the fifth issue to print last week, so that'll yeah. be out in soon. Um, there's the aforementioned Men of Wrath, which is uh, an icon miniseries. Um, Jason Aaron, once again, and Ron Garney, a wonderful artist at uh, Marvel. And he's been around forever. He's, he's an amazing, amazing artist. And it is... If you like Southern Bastards and you like Scouts, um, and those were not hard enough for you, like in tone, the Men of Wrath is probably one of the meanest things I've ever...
0: You have, seen. You have a bunny in the first page. You have... Uh a stuffed bunny covered in the blood of... <laughs> I, I'm not even going to describe it. It's sad. It's sad and awesome. It's, yeah, it is.
3: It's, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to really... I'm, I'm drawn to those kind of stories um, and I always have been, but there's something about the way Jason wrote that book. Um, I don't know, maybe he can surprise himself, because that man is no stranger to really grim, like, kind of hard stomach you know, reality, and, uh, and, and Meta Rats is, and I love it the bit, I and mean, it's just, you know, you put that down, and you're like, wow, that was, that was rough. And then later this year, uh, Tokyo Ghost, which uh, I I was sad not to have been able to talk about before <laughs> to it. Well, we were sad too, but then we'll have you, it
0: gives us an excuse to have you back on, so so thank you for that. Yeah,
3: absolutely, anytime, guys. Yeah.